Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so um, it is a new week. It's a new day. We're in a new series, and I have a new shirt. Thank you, thank you. You guys are easily impressed. I appreciate that. Uh, so we're in this new series, in case you didn't know, and, and we're calling it Mind Over Matter. Mind Over Matter, and the whole idea is that changing your thinking will change your life. Now that we just did 12 weeks of like, uh, you know, the recovery stuff, we want to change how we think. Maybe it's just a continuation of a continuation to change how we think. And so that's what this whole series is about. I love this stuff. I love this idea. We're going to be talking and thinking about thinking. We're going to be thinking about how we're thinking and how that affects uh, ultimately uh, our being, and we're going to be using the Bible, we're going to be using science to do this. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but the world we live in currently is chaotic, a little, a little bit out of sorts, a little bit more chaotic than ever before. We're dealing with a lot of stuff, like a lot of stuff, fear, anxiety, uncertainty, unrest, there's division just about everywhere you look and everywhere you go, we're divided about almost everything. And everybody's got an opinion or 15 about every single issue. And everybody has the ability to express their opinion about every issue because of social media and, and the news and all this stuff. And so there's just like these endless debates and arguments about the virus and masks and politics and race and masks, and statues, and masks, right? It's just like this nonstop, and I don't know about you, but it, it, it's a bit exhausting. Like, man, I just, I want to breath, I want, I want to breathe, I want to breathe a sigh of relief, I just want to calm. It makes me want to go live in the woods with no phones and internet access and TV, like I just want to, which I kind of do now, you know, it's kind of nice. I find myself talking to my goat idea. Maybe I should just start like a goat counseling business. Like you sign up for a session, you come vent to the goats about everything that's wrong, you feel better about yourself. They don't care because they're just busy being goats. They're not, they're not stressed out at all. Like they get food, they're happy. And then like, you know, you just kind of move on without your day. You get everything out. Princess Poppy is a great listener, I promise. She won't interrupt. She'll listen. Like we just need these moments of reprieve. Like just give us a break. Some days it just feels like too much. And, 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 and some of my concern underneath all this, this prolonged sense of time of, of stress and anxiety and, and strain on the mind, my fear, like, and you don't have to agree with this, this is okay, but uh, my fear is that this prolonged heightened sense of tension is going to, if it hasn't already, begin to lead to other physical issues as well because the brain affects the body. We'll talk about this, but the mind affects matter, mind over matter, that sort of thing. And so my fear is that as we live in this continued uh, heightened tension, that it will cause issues in our physicality as well. So that's why I'm excited for this series uh, and, and what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be talking about mind over matter, how you think will affect your life. And so we're going to be looking at the sciences behind this, we're going to look at the Bible to do this, look at what Paul talks about, and hopefully some of this will bring some peace and some guidance and some hope and some calm as we try to navigate the world we find ourselves living in. So, I want to start today with the brain. Uh, we're going to go look at a few things with the brain. Um, the brain is an interesting organ. It's a fascinating, interesting organ. Uh, and, and so, in order to think about this, we have to think about how we think. 
In order to think about how we think, we have to think about the thing that we used to think with. So we start with the brain. I want to show you a few things uh, before we get to Paul's stuff. Um, because I want to point out the different aspects of how the brain works and how it functions in order to help us understand how we perceive the world. How, we have to understand how our brain works in order to understand how we perceive the world around us. And this is an important part of everything we're going to be dealing with. So one of the biggest obstacles that we face when it comes to how our brain works is what's known as perpetual, uh, per, perpetual, perceptive realism or naive realism. Here's the definition of naive realism. Naive realism, the idea that our perception of the world reflects the truth. Naive realism, the idea that our perception of the world reflects the truth. And you may have thought, well, of course... The way I see the world is the way it is, right? We, have, we all believe we have the better way of seeing the world. If we didn't, we would view the world differently or we would attempt to change our view, but we like our view because it's the proper way. Here's the problem. The problem with this idea is that the brain is always kind of making stuff up. Like the brain is a bit of a storyteller. And I don't mean like your brain is always just like, making ridiculous stuff that you can't trust. I mean that the way your brain has been designed to work, it can only process continually receiving input from your other senses, sight, smell, sound, taste, all this stuff. And there's so much information coming in that it can't possibly process all of it. So what it does is it chooses selectively what it wants to pay attention to and what it will focus on. And in doing so, what you perceive as reality isn't necessarily reality. In other words, what you perceive as reality is a construct of the reality that your mind chooses to interpret for you. Still with me? Okay, let me, let me show you how this works a little bit. I wanna, I'm going to give you like four visual illustrations to help illustrate this, okay? So you got to stay with me. We'll work through this, and hopefully this will make sense. So this is the first one. We're going to put it on the screen. There's going to be a gray thing. There's a, left, there's a black dot on the left and a moving object on the right. Try not to look at the moving dot on the right, <laughs> even though I just pointed out. Stare at the, at the dot on the left. As you stare at the dot on the left, you will see the object on the right moving in a particular direction. The question is, what direction is it moving? Don't cheat. Stare at the dot on the left. It should appear to you as if the object on the right is moving at a diagonal, up and to the right and down and to the left. Do you see it? Raise your hand if you can see it. I can't see you. That's a joke. Um, now, if you take the moment to look at the object directly on the right, the ball that's moving up and down, what you should see is that it's actually moving on a vertical line, straight up and straight down. If you don't believe me, trace it with your finger. If you're at home on, watching it online, you can put your finger on the screen and do the same. So the object on the right is actually moving vertically, but when staring at the dot on the left, your brain perceives it as moving diagonally. And now, even knowing that it's moving up and down, if you go back and stare at the dot on the left, the, the ball will still continue to move at an angle. You see it still? Yes. Okay, so what's the point? The point is, although you are looking at a particular thing, and you think the thing that you're looking at is the reality of the thing, the reality to you is that it's moving at a diagonal, it's not actually moving at a diagonal. The reality that your brain just fed you isn't the reality of what it is. So your brain is making up this story for you. Oh, it's moving at this diagonal, but it's actually not. Now, most of the time, your, your, the story your brain creates will, in fact, match your reality, but not always. This is important for us to understand when we think about how we think. It's important for us to understand um, 
that there can, in fact, be a conflict between our perception of reality and reality as it is. And this isn't about, like, like, uh, like doubting everything you see. It's simply about being aware that at times there are blind spots in our perception of reality. Okay, now let me show you the next one. This is what's known as the flash lag illusion. There's a red dot going across the screen. You can see it. Now, about halfway, you will see a green dot flash. Do you see it? There you go. Now, the question is here, when does the green dot flash in relation to the red dot? Does it flash when the red dot is behind it? Does it flash when the red dot is in line with it? Or does it flash when the red dot is ahead of it? How many of you say behind it? How many of you say in line with it? You say it's in line? How many of you say it's ahead of it? Okay, ahead of it. Now, um, the way that this is working is that the green dot is actually flashing when the red dot is directly in line with it. Your brain, the way it works is that your brain should actually be seeing the red dot ahead of the green dot when it flashes. Some of you raised your hand and that surprised me. Can we turn the lights back up? Did you actually see it in line with the green dot? You did? Wow, I wasn't able to see it. You guys are so much better than me. You ruined the whole illustration. You got, can you go home? Um, so, so what's actually happening is, and, and maybe I don't know if, if how this all works, but the idea is that your brain operates at a lag, that because of how your vision works, it takes time for the light to go through your eye and then create a visual uh, electrical signal to go to the back of your brain, to the visual processing center, and then go back through your brain so that your brain interprets what's happening in front of you. It takes like hundreds of milliseconds, and so because of this little lag, your brain is hundreds of milliseconds off of reality. So you're not actually seeing things in real time. And so what's happening is your brain is making assumptions and predictions based on the movement of something else. This is what allows you to actually do anything in this life, like hit a baseball. If, you, if your brain functioned in real time, you wouldn't be able to hit a baseball, drive a car, catch a, anything. Because your brain is anticipating the movement of something, it can adapt, and that's why you can hit the baseball. You see? So even though, in, 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 um, even though to us, at least for me, some of you were on top of this, but for me it looked like that thing was ahead of the green dot. Right? There, there's this lag in my perception. So what's the point? Well, the point is that because of how incredible the brain is, it operates There's a gap in how you perceive reality. What we understand and experience as reality or consciousness is really the prediction of what's happening rather than the real-time experience. Yeah, this is, this is, it gets a bit complicated, but this is why this is important for us to understand. That, that this idea, this concept of prediction, this thing that your brain is constantly doing is not just limited to motion. It's, it, it's included in and per, is active in other aspects of how you think. Uh, let me give you two more. Uh, visual three and four. Uh, the brain is telling us a story about things in motion, but it doesn't stop there. It's, these stories are influenced by other things as well. Okay, let me show you one that has to do with, with how we see color, because how we see color isn't absolute either. Check this one out. Okay, you will see a box moving from left to right, right to left. The box is, there's a uh, red-ish background and a teal background. The box appears to change colors. Do you see it? It goes from like gray to 
reddish. Do you see? Yes, shake your head. At home, nod. I can't see you, but I believe you are. Uh, so the, the, the trippy thing about this is that the box actually doesn't change color. It's gray the whole time. It's only gray. So what's happening is your brain is looking at this thing, and because of the proximity to other colors in relation to the movement and everything that's happening, it's causing your brain to see the, the, the box change appearance in colors. It's creating, the brain is creating a story. It's telling you that, oh, this is what it looks like, this, but that's not what it actually is. It's not necessarily correct. Now, the reason this is interesting is because our perception, so much of our perception is based on experiences. Okay, now, let me give you illustration number four, visual illustration. Do you remember this? This was popular a few years ago, five years ago or so. Remember the dress? We spent endless hours debating and arguing the color of a dress. Is it white and gold or is it black and blue? Who sees white and gold? Anybody see black and blue? <laughs> okay, weirdos. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the guys did some research on this after this whole debate was going on, and they discovered a few interesting things. One possible explanation they have for how you see this dress actually is based on sleep patterns, which is fascinating. And the idea is this, uh, early birds versus like night eyes. The early birds, if you're primarily active in daytime, daylight hours, outside, whatever, or that's when you're primarily doing stuff, you have a certain perception of the world. You have trained your brain based on experience that the world primarily looks like this in this kind of lighting. So if that's you, if you're more of an early bird person, typically you will see the, the dress as white and gold because your brain has been conditioned to think in terms of this particular lighting. Now, if you're a night owl and you typically are up late or, you know, like nighttime darker type hues or whatever, and this isn't always the case, I understand there are exceptions. You may be sitting there thinking that's not me at all. That's fine. I'm just telling you what the research says in general. In general, if you are more of a nighttime person, you will have the tendency to see that dress in blacks and blues because you have conditioned and trained your brain and the experience your brain has had is that typically the light that you are viewing is usually darker, right? It's all so fascinating. Now, your brain doesn't tell you it's doing all this stuff. It just does it. You don't think about it, but your perception of things is shaped by your experience. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because the things that cause you to see movement and color and address a certain way, a way that is your perceived sense of reality, but not necessarily actual reality, these things are always working even beyond these types of, of, of issues, of color, of movement, whatever. The, your brain is functioning this way all the time. It will be operating this way even when it comes to more complicated issues, co more complicated thoughts, more complicated things that you might be dealing with, you know, like if your country seems to be polarized over issues of masks and race and politics and religion. So your brain is continuing to operate the same way. It doesn't like shut off and know when it comes to those issues, I have the right way of seeing it. The brain is always kind of perceiving things in a particular way. So the reality that you have is a constructed reality that your mind is wanting you to see. Okay, stay with me. Stay with me. All right. Paul. Yes, directly into Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, a couple of things here. He says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. Divine power, the word for power in the Greek text is the word dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. So there is this explosive power of God that we are using to demolish these strongholds. The word for stronghold in the Greek text has to do with um, this idea, this picture of like a, a reinforced prison. So there is this weapon that you fight with that is this explosive power of God that helps you to demolish these reinforced prisons. Well, what kind of prison would it possibly need set free from? So there's this idea that there's this battle going on in which you have become a prisoner and there's this divinely powered weapon that is able to destroy this prison that you are in that will set you free. Now, I believe what Paul is describing here is the battle that's happening within our mind. He's talking about, I think, the power of thought. I mean, isn't this what he says? We demolish arguments and every pretension that stands in opposition to the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. The idea is that it's possible for our thoughts, how we think, our minds to bind us and to keep us from God's intended reality. Have you found yourself at all this week, this month, maybe this past couple of months, being at odds with somebody about any particular issue in the world right now. I know, it's like, I know we're all living in peace and unity and harmony and all getting along right now, but maybe on the off chance, have you found yourself at odds with somebody? Pick an issue, any issue, it doesn't matter. Maybe there's been a disagreement, a matter of opinion, uh, with a spouse, maybe a coworker, maybe a maybe a family member, maybe even a fellow church member. Have you caught yourself, maybe you've had this discussion, and maybe you've taken that discussion beyond the discussion, you've carried it home with you, you've carried it to work with you, and you find yourself driving to work, driving home from work, and you're replaying the talk in your mind. Well, I can't, why did they even say that? I can't believe he said that. Why would she say, can you believe she thinks, can you believe he did and then you continue to work this over in your mind, and then you have like these rebuttals. Well, I should have said, you know what I really should have said? Why didn't I come with back? If she says that again, I'm coming back with this next time, and I'm going to be ready for it, right? You're building this whole thing up. What are you doing? You're creating this unnecessary tension in your mind. You're creating your own prison, right? Now, I'm not saying uh, like don't have discussion. Healthy discussion is important. Healthy discussion is, is not wrong. It's proper. You should do that. I'm saying that when you take that discussion and you let it go beyond the point of discussion and then it becomes an issue of tension and you keep adding to it and you keep adding to it in your mind, before you know it, you have this giant ordeal and it's creating a lot of stress and extra tension. You work this whole thing up. When you do that, you're creating this pretense that stands in opposition to the knowledge of God. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, what do we know of God? Well, God is love. God is one. God is unity. God's intended reality prescribes community and connection. And so you're developing this argument, this thing that has the potential to breed uh, disunity, maybe even bitterness towards one another. And in doing so, you're creating this issue that has the potential to set itself up against the knowledge of God, which is love, 
unity, oneness, communion. What? Why, by the way? Well, because your way is the right way of seeing things? What was that word we used earlier? Naive realism? The idea that the way we see things is the right way? But then what did we look at? Well, we looked at how the brain works, just briefly, just barely scratching the surface here. And what we see with the brain is that we have these blind spots. And that we have these experiences that affect and construct our reality. Our experiences affect how we will perceive a given situation. Isn't this what we see a lot in the world right now? Have you seen any of the posts where people post a picture of a friend that they know who's a doctor or a healthcare worker that has a whole long reason why they should or don't have to wear a mask? <laughs> right? It's all based on this experience that we've had. There's this other term I came across, which is a really interesting term. It's called surf pad that helps describe what we're experiencing now. Surf pad. This is an acronym. Um, don't worry if you didn't know this before. I didn't either. And don't worry if you don't remember it afterwards. I probably won't either. But let me show you this acronym. It's really fascinating. <clears throat> surf pad. Substantial uncertainty combined with ramified or forked priors and assumptions yields disagreement. <laughs> yeah, that's why surf pad is better. Substantial uncertainty. Are we experiencing any of that currently? Combined with ramified or forked priors and assumptions, you have a particular way of seeing things, your experience, yields disagreements. Yields disagreements. The idea is that when there's something like an image, an event, some sort of stimulus, some sort of issue in the world you're dealing with and it isn't perfectly clear, then we have the tendency, the way our brain works, is that we will fill in the gaps of the uncertainty with previous and prior experiences and presumptions. And because we all have different experiences and different prior assumptions, it will lead to a disagreement about the thing in question. Again, isn't this the exact thing we're experiencing in our world right now? And so what happens is, rather than being open to the possibility and understanding that our brain does in fact provide us blind spots and being willing to acknowledge that and then going, you know what, maybe what you're saying is in my blind spot and maybe I should take a bit of time to listen and to understand and hear what you're actually saying, what we often do is we want to dig our heels in and double down on our naive, my way is the right way, there cannot be any other way. And so what we do by digging our heels in is we create more division and animosity amongst ourselves. And in doing that, we begin to create these little prisons for ourselves that actually puts us at odds with God's intended reality. Interesting how this all works. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Well, what does Paul say? He says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Well, what does it mean to even do that? What does it mean to make a thought obedient to Christ? Well, let me ask you this. How are you obedient to Christ? Well, I, I try to do the things he says, right? John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. Well, what are some of his commands? Well, I think he says, like, the greatest one is love the Lord your God with the entirety of your being. And then he says the second greatest one is, you know, love your neighbor as you would want to be loved yourself. 
Then there's this passage in John 13, 14, where he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You must, must love. I thought it was more like, so you should love one another as long as they align up with what you believe about everything. Then it's okay. Maybe you should love each other as long as you agree on particular issues. No, he says you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The way that you show people what you believe is through how you behave, through the actions, through how you carry yourself, through will you love one another. So obedience to Christ, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Obedience to Christ seems to look an awful lot like being obedient to love. Love of God, love of God's creation. Paul says take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And by being obedient to Christ, you will be obedient to love. So maybe the idea is that I should take every thought captive and make it obedient to my love of God and to my love of others. Make it obedient to love. Now, both science and the Bible have a good amount to say about the power of our mind, the power of the thoughts uh, to affect our being. We'll get into this more throughout this series. It's going to be some good stuff. I want to give you a couple of scriptures and a couple of thoughts, and then we'll come back to this passage with Paul, and then hopefully we'll tie it all together. Uh, So, Proverbs 23, in the New King James Version, says this, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. As he thinks in his heart, so he is. There's been a few other people that have had quotes and ideas about like this idea of thought affecting our being. Check this out. Here's a couple other ones. Uh, This is Mahatma Gandhi. A man is but the product of his thoughts. What he thinks, he becomes. Zig Ziglar said, if you can dream it, you can achieve it, my friends. Walt Disney, if you can dream it, you can do it. Confucius say, those who think they can and those who think they can't are both usually right. Yeah. Right? This is not a new concept. This is not a new idea. How we think affects who we are. The idea is similar, I think, to what Paul is cluing us into here in this passage, which is that there's this ongoing battle within the mind. And this is a big battle because what's going on up here has the ability to affect everything else. It has the ability to affect how I see things, how I understand things, how I interact with everything else. This is why why you can... um, This is why two people can go through the exact same experience and come to a different response and um, explanation of their experience because of how you think. For a man thinks as he is. Oh, by the way, the power of the mind. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, The ability of the mind to influence the body and who you are. Have you ever watched a movie at home? Maybe it's a scary movie. Maybe it's an intense movie fighting movie. Maybe it's a sports movie. Maybe it's Hoosiers and somebody needs to make the final shot to win the game. But you sit on the couch, you watch the movie. You ever find yourself getting nervous or anxious or sweaty armpits at a movie? You're on your couch. You're not running from anybody. You're not dribbling the ball up and down the court. You're not being chased by zombies. There's, you're on your couch in a really safe place and yet something is telling you that something is going on and so that's why you feel this anxiousness and this nervousness and you get sweaty armpits. Nobody else sweats watching movies? No. Okay. <laughs> Too much information. 
This stuff is powerful stuff. This is why, again, two people can have the same, go through the same thing and then come out with a different conclusion and different perspective of the experience. Uh, when we were in the woods a couple weeks ago on vacation, I'll, I have a couple more vacation stories uh, throughout the series, but um, we were on vacation. We went to this river. We were in this, it was like a shallow, shallow river, and, and there were some rapids as part of it. And the rapids were moving pretty good, but it was still pretty shallow. And so I said, I thought to myself, well, why don't I go out here and see if I can like, you know, like, like coast, I don't know what's the word, float down the rapids. And so I walked out, it wasn't but waist deep, you know, it was kind of off to the side, so it wasn't a part of the main rapids. And I kind of sat down and put my feet up and just kind of pushed off the ground and that thing, I mean, it pushed me, it wasn't super fast, but it pushed me pretty good, maybe 50 yards or so down the, down the river. And my kids were all playing right here. And so they saw it and they were like, oh, we want to do that. I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. Let's do that. So he says, dad, let me do that. I say, okay. So we go, we kind of walk her out there. We, again, it wasn't anything bad. It wasn't scary. It wasn't big. It was barely waist deep. And so I set her on my lap for the first time, and then we kind of go into the water together. And so we both got our feet up, and we're going down the river, and it's, you know, pushing us, and she's like laughing and having a good time. We're giggling, and isn't this awesome? And the water's cold, but it's fun, whatever. So she gets out, and she's like, that was awesome. Can I do that by myself? I go, absolutely. But let me take your brother first, because he wants to go. Ezra says, Dad, can I go? I say, sure, let's go. So I get Ezra. I do the same thing. We walk out to the rapids. I put him on my lap. We sit down. We start going. And he's not real sure about it, but it's safe. Nothing bad's happening. We get done. We get done with the, little, with the little ride, and I say, hey, how'd you like it? Do you want to go again? He says, no, thank you. I said, well, why not? He goes, no, thank you. Okay, so he gets over, he goes to his mom. His mom says, hey, how was it, buddy? What'd you think? You're going to do it again? He said, no, I thought I was going to drown. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Wait a second. Like, so here you have this, the same dad, the same river, the same water, the same everything, pretty much the exact same experience, one of them loved it, is doing it over and over again, can't believe how much fun it was. The other one, I thought I was going to die, right? Like, what is, as a man thinks, so he is. So much of what we perceive as reality is based on up here. Was he ever in any real danger? Not at all. If anything would have happened, would his dad rescued him? Of course. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. I think this is why Paul says, in Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Why? Because as a man thinks, so he is. Right? Here, here, the reality is, your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What comes into your mind will eventually come out into your life. Your mind, your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So the big question for us then is, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? What kind of thoughts do you find yourself having? Critical thoughts? Judgmental thoughts? Negative, toxic Scarcity thoughts? Oh my gosh, I'm going to die in this rapid thoughts? Are you having positive, encouraging types of thoughts? Do you have affirming thoughts? Your life will move in this direction. Now, check this out because I think this is cool. Um, we'll tie all this together. Because how the brain works, right? everything we talked about. We have this perception, uh, what we perceive as reality is a construct of our minds. And because of how our brain works, 
It's possible that the thoughts we have might not be as accurate as we believe. And our thoughts are often based on this previous or past experiences. And so just because we see things a certain way doesn't always make it exactly so. Which means then we have to be mindful of our blind spots. And when we're not mindful of our blind spots, it can lead to some issues, some discrepancies, some dis- disruptions, or this idea of surf pad, right? That, that, that it leads to disagreements. Um, and so I think this is what's causing so much of the tension in our world. Everyone has opinion. Everyone thinks they're right. And nobody's really to admit that we might not have the full scope and spectrum, the whole picture of what's happening. It's naive realism. In the middle of this, Paul comes and says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments on every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Okay, so there's this ongoing battle within your mind, and the battle is, will you live in alignment with God's intended reality for your life, or will you allow your negativity, unhealthy, ungodlike thoughts to create this reinforced prison in your mind? Which will you choose? But the good news here is that when you are mindful of these things, these thoughts, these ideas that are trying to imprison you, things like fear, anxiety, uncertainty, guilt, not being worthy enough, all the things that are telling you what's wrong with who you are, there is a way to break down these walls, to break out of this prison, and that is by making these thoughts obedient to Christ, which is to say that you are running these thoughts through the lens of your love of God and your love of others. You're holding them up against the backdrop of love because it is love that is the divine power that has the ability to destroy the things that are trying to trap you because God is love. Oh. So if I take this thing and expose it to love, that is the love of God, the love of people, that God is love, then that will help me decide what to do with it. And rather than allowing things like fear to build a prison for me that I live in now, when I expose it to love, it will set me free from that. Because I'm pretty sure there's even a scripture somewhere that says something about perfect love, casting out all fear. This idea is whatever the reality is that our mind is constructed, Paul says, take those thoughts and make them subject to, expose them to love. And in doing so, it will set you free. It will set you free from the things that are trying to make you a prisoner in your mind. So no, we don't fight with the weapons that the world fights with. We fight with different weapons, with this divine power, this explosive love of God. We fight these battles with the greatest, most powerful weapon that the world has ever seen. And that, my friends, is love. That's the weapon you're fighting with. Fighting the battle in your mind for what is true. Think on these things, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is holy, whatever is right. Was it admirable to think on these things? You don't have to stay a prisoner trapped in your mind. 
You don't have to be subject to fear and negative and toxicity. And I've, I've gone through a lot of that kind of stuff and it's a bad place to be. I don't ever wanna go back to that. I don't ever wanna go back to that. I wanna step into the freedom that God offers through grace, through his son. I wanna step into all of that. So here's what I want you to do this week. This is your homework. It's really simple. Just want you to keep tabs on your thoughts. Like, what is it that continually comes up in your mind? If you want to, like, be a superstar student, and I'll give you two gold stars, you can make an actual list that might be listed if that'll help you. But just keep, like, keep your radar on, keep your feelers out for what's coming to my mind continually. What is the thought? What is the feeling? What is the expression? Am I, am I getting anger, angry over a particular issue for some reason over and over again? What's, what, what's that all about? Or maybe when you turn on the news or you look at social media, you get a particular feeling based on what you're watching and watching, and you find some anxiety, some animosity towards some things, or you find yourself getting a bit heated because you can't believe they're lying about that particular issue, and you, oh my gosh, why would they, what kind of world are we living? Keep, keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on that. Maybe you're experiencing some other kind of fear, anxiety because of finances or jobs or viruses. Or, I mean, the list could just keep really going on and on and on here. But pay attention to your thoughts. And then if you want to even take the next step, what does that thought look like through the lens of love? Is that thought valid? Can that fear be overcome? Can that anxiety be dealt with when, de- when looked through the lens of love, the love of God and the love of others? Right? And then so as we continue to go through this series, we're going to look at different ways, different practices that you can be applying into your life so that you can begin to make some changes because how you think changes how you live. This is the whole series, Mind Over Matter. Paul says in Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the patterns of the world. That's what we're going to be talking about next week in a bit more depth. Paul says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Make every thought obedient to love. Make every thought obedient to love, and it will set you free from the things that are trying to trap you. It will set you free from the reinforced prison of your mind. Your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts.